Daniel 7 verse 10 says, the court was seated and the books were opened. So this is where we get the idea of the court of heaven. And there's books, plural, books in the courts of heaven. And we're going to understand that in a minute. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. I believe that whatever the Bible talks about for anyone, it applies to all of us. So in Psalm 139, it says, when I was in my mother's womb, you prophesied to me the days yet to come. So I believe that every child, and this is why abortion is so terrible, every child is future, his and her future is prophesied by God to the child in the womb of their mother. And Satan does everything he can to have, help you have a terrible childhood, have something bad happen to you. Kids are raped. Kids are beat up. A friend of mine was put in a freezer for seven hours until somebody found him. He almost died. He almost ran out of air, and it really messed up his mental health. But part of the prayer we pray is calling forth the things that God prophesied for people at the end of this service. So what God does for one, he'll do for all. God has a destiny for each person here. Your destiny is written in the book of heaven. Remember, the courts were opened and the books were opened. And it, when God prophesies, there's some angels called watchers, and their job is to write everything down. There's angels here right now writing things down. I have seen angels repeatedly. I know that I'm protected. There's this guardian angel that, that has a full armor of God, and he's got a really big sword, and it's... It's powerful, and I see him repeatedly standing at the door of my house, and I think that's so cool. And I want you to be encouraged. Everybody here has an angel. If you don't understand that, biblically, when Peter was in jail, he got out of jail, and he came to Rhoda's house where they were praying, and Rhoda goes to the door, and she sees Peter, and she slams the door and goes, tells everybody, I just saw Peter's angel. It was Peter. But it was commonly understood amongst the early church that everybody had an angel. So that's pretty cool. So Daniel's prayers were effective for several reasons. These same principles can be applied to us. First, Daniel rep repented for his sins. Secondly, he knew the promises that God had for the people of Israel. So he was calling them forth. Whenever you get a prophecy, it's really important that you call it forth and you push into it. Don't say, oh, that's a good word, and forget about it. Don't do that. Thirdly, he understood God wanted to accomplish his promises, so he, he was leaning on, the, on that. And when we pray, we regularly quote Scripture because we're claiming the promises of God. And finally, we need to understand that God operates as a judge in heaven. And Satan is a legalist. 
And so it's really important that we be careful with our words. I'm sure Pastor Chris has taught you the importance of being careful with what you say and declaring. That's why we make these confessions when we, when we give our offerings. We believe and we're calling forth the promises of God. And Satan is a legalist. If you go around saying how bad you're in pain or how much you hurt, if you're constantly complaining about your spouse, if you're constantly complaining about your work, you're giving Satan power to make it worse. So you have to, you have to do what Abraham, God said, Abraham, you and, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. And he believed it. And he was accounted righteous. So we have to believe the word of God and speak it out so that we can be accounted righteous. Okay, the next point. 1 Kings 22, 19 to 23. Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by, on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So demons, lying spirits, are allowed to lie to you. You all seen cop shows where the cops are allowed to lie to, to, get your, to catch you in your guilt? Demons are allowed to lie to you, which is connected to your sinful lifestyle and your, your sinful emotions because you believe lies when you don't know the word of the Lord. I'm sorry, but it's true. We all, I get deceived occasionally. All of a sudden I realize my wife will say, why did you do that? I'm like, what are you talking about? And she'll point it out. I'm like, oh gosh, well, I can't believe I did that. You have to be careful, but I don't want you to be afraid of life. Live life, but live it courageously in the word of God. Secondly, we have learned to always, every day when we start our morning prayers, to bind lying and twisting spirits from hindering all our communication. I do a lot of marriage counseling. I always tell people, bind lying and twisting spirits because literally the wife can say something and the husband can think or hear something completely different. Or the husband can say something, the wife hears something completely different. That's what a lying spirit does. It makes you hear the wrong thing and it hurts your communication. I'm sure if anybody's married in this room, you've had some spats with your wife. So one time, Sylvia and I were having this, we kept kind of being bitchy at each other. And uh, it was terrible. And I got off the phone telling this couple to bind, line, and twisting spirits. And she said, we need to do that. And I said, what do we need to do? She said, we need to pray that prayer. And we did, and we completely forgot what we had been arguing about. Yeah. Completely forgot it. It was a demonic thing. It was an irritation from the devil. What did Jesus pray in John 17? He prayed for unity. What does Satan want to do? Cause disunity. 
Think of all the, all the fighting in our country between Democrats and Republicans, between, between this and that. It's terrible. Satan is working so hard right now to destroy unity, destroy marriages, destroy families, destroy churches over, over senseless debates. As the body of Christ, let's get united around the word of God and stand in unity. Amen. So I encourage you every day when you start your day, just say, I bind lying and twisting spirits from hindering my communication today. And pray that every day. If you see yourself getting into an argument with your friend or your spouse, pray that. Just stop and pray that. If you're going in to ask for a raise with your boss, pray that before you go in. So he'll actually understand what you're trying to say. Otherwise, he'll just be arguing against you. Okay, next one. John 1, 6 to 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and from on the earth and from walking to and from on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to his face. So Satan is challenging God over Job. But God was bragging on Job. And then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here, we're talking about the court of heaven. Satan is there arguing against Job. Satan cannot just willy-nilly cause trouble to us. He has to give God a reason to afflict somebody. There's all kinds of tests that happen. You might say, why does God let Satan do that? Most people think it's between Satan and Jesus. It's not. Jesus has accomplished everything that we need. It's between Satan and us. We need to know the word of God. We need to understand it, and we need to fight with the word of God. We can overcome everything that is thrown at us if we use the Word of God and understand the Word of God. So it's important that you read the Bible. I know that everybody has already started thinking about what they're going to do for lunch today. As much as we have to eat food to enjoy our life, to enjoy your spiritual life, you have to read the Word of God. It feeds your spirit. It helps you to be a stronger Christian. But just like Satan is allowed to challenge in the court of heaven in order to afflict people on the earth, we are allowed to stand up and argue our case. And that's why we have this prayer called the courts of heaven prayer. So going back to Daniel, there's a point I need to under, make sure you understand. When Daniel began to pray for Israel, he first repented for his sins, and then he repented for the sins of Israel. 
sometimes in, a, in my sharing this, this truth, people say, well, how can you repent for somebody else? You have to think of it as a lawyer defending his client. So when I repent for, let's say, my friend Austin here, if I repent for his sins, and let's say he was not yet saved, I can't, I can't repent so that he gets saved, but I can repent for his father's, his grandfather's, his great-grandfather's sins, so the demons can't use that against him and make him want to sin like they sinned. That's what demons do. They, they constantly bombard you. Anybody here addicted to smoking or drugs or drinking anything? Anything that you wish you didn't do? There's a, there's a couple of brave people that admitted it. Those, af those afflictions, those addictions, how does it just come to you? You gotta have a drink, you gotta have a smoke. Demons amplify that stuff. And when, when we pray the courts of heaven prayer, we're silencing the enemy against the person. And that helps them to break free finally. So the last point about uh, generational curses, Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So very clearly it says that God punishes people to the third and fourth generation. That's actually a limit, okay? God chose to limit it. In Leviticus, there's actually some scriptures where it goes to 10 generations. If something goes to 10 generations, even four generations, we don't know our great, 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 you gotta say it four times, great grandfathers. We don't know what they did. And they lived in a very different situation than we did. But we don't need, somebody thinks that once you get saved, you don't have to worry about it. But that's not true. Jesus died for everybody, but not everybody's saved. Only the people who acknowledge Jesus, repent of their sins, and ask him to be their Lord and Savior. You have to physically, you have to, you have to choose to follow Jesus to be saved. You have to repent of your sins and accept Jesus to be saved. You have to, you have to renounce curses to break them. They don't just automatically get broken because you got saved. Galatians 3.13 is our, our, our scripture that we stand on for breaking curses. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. So we can break curses in Jesus' name, but we have to specifically do that. We have to specifically break the curses that we discover are afflicting us. There's, there's one more uh, piece of this understanding. People don't understand how the demons are allowed to torment you. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. I'm not going to read that whole scripture. It's long. Um, but in the, in the, in the parable, parable of 
of this. A man owes a lot of money to his boss. Okay, I'm, I'm just explaining it to you. The boss or the king forgives him. But he goes, it's like he's the manager. Like there's the boss, the manager, and then the employees. So he's the manager. He's forgiven a whole bunch of debt. But he goes to his employees who owe him a little bit of money, and he says, you have to pay me back or I'm throwing you in jail. And they can't pay him back. Otherwise, they would have. They can't. So he throws them in jail. So they complain to the boss. In this, in this scenario, it would be God. But um, <clears throat> so, so the boss or God throws this guy. He lets the, those people out, and he throws this guy in prison. And it says his torturers torture him. Tormentors torment him. And I always, for 60 years, I didn't know what that meant. But according to this teaching, demons are allowed to torment you. And when you're in jail, that means you're in some kind of bondage, some kind of sin that you can't get out of. And demons are tormenting you. you got to have that next drink. you got to have that next cigarette. you got to have that next drug. It's just a torment. It's, it's, it's endless. It's, it's, it's continual. And they're allowed to do that because of generational curses, because of personal sins. But we repent and we break the curses and, and we ask God to silence the enemy, and he does. And then people can get free. That's why I told you at the beginning, these husbands that committed adultery were living in sin with their girlfriends. They repented after I prayed this prayer for them. One thing we need to understand is that when Satan accuses you and he tries to convict you that you're, you're in some kind of sin, quite often there's some truth to it. Like if you have a problem with pornography or if you're, if you're cheating on your spouse or if you're stealing something, whatever it is, first the devil tries to get you to do it and then he makes you feel bad for doing it. So he beats you up coming and going. <clears throat> so we need to repent for our part in anything we've done. And God, you apply the blood of Jesus and you, you repent. God forgives you. So when we go into the courts of heaven, we, uh, we go in to break curses. We, we go in to break. We, we apply the blood of Jesus. And we, we, we pray and we ask God to cleanse bloodlines. So when I'm praying, let's say I'm praying for Austin's relatives, we ask that, we would, that God would cleanse Austin's bloodline. That's all of his ancestors on his mother's and his father's side of the family. So when we do this prayer in a few minutes, we're doing that for you. You can best understand the, the last point in thinking about people in Africa. Uh, in their villages, they would have little idols set up, and they would, they would burn candles, and they would offer food, and they have this little idol. And they, they think, they think, because they don't know Jesus, they think, and I have, I have pastoral friends in Africa, and they say people are doing this in their villages. And I've seen it in Cuba, where people have these little, little idols in the corner. 
They offer food and they're, they're praying to their God, little G God, and asking for favor on their crops, for favor on their children. And so they make covenants and they dedicate their children, dedicate their babies to this, this idol. And so they're making contracts or covenants with the demons. They're making, they're dedicating and they're doing trades. They make deals like, Austin, if you do this for me, then I'm going to do this for you. So they're making a deal with the devil. If you'll do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And then, then they get, so those, all these are things that we break. You're going to see in the prayer we're breaking covenants, dedications, and trades. That's what I'm talking about here. It's all connected to what people in the past have done. And like I said, four, over four generations ago, we don't know what our great ancestors were doing. Maybe they did some of that. I always say it's better to, to, to deal with it, even if it doesn't specifically apply to you. It can't hurt. If I say I break generational curses off of you and you don't have one, it's not going to hurt you. But it may very well help you. When we do this in the prayer, there's a place where we ask God for a verdict. And you will literally hear in your spirit, I will or I do or see a, a vision of a gavel coming down like a judge hitting. hitting. And, and that's God answering that he will. Sometimes when you're doing this, you don't hear anything or you don't see anything. What that means is there's still something un unrepented of. And then you just say, Lord, what do I need to repent of? And all of a sudden you'll think of something, so you repent of that. hope that makes sense to you. Once the first thing, the bloodline, is forgiven and is cleansed, then you take that verdict, and then we ask God to silence the demons. And then again, you ask for a verdict, and you hear God say, I will or it is done, or see the gavel come down in the spirit. And then I've been taught that higher level demons are connected to generational curses. And you have to ask Jesus to deal with the higher level demons to break the generational curses. And Jesus is quite willing to do that. And then you just start casting out demons off of the person. You're going to see this all in the prayer. We're going to do it here in a minute. The last thing we do is we call forth the plans and the purposes written in the book of heaven for the people that we're praying for. You know in Romans where it calls us that we have the spirit of adoption whereby we can call God Abba Father. The spirit of adoption is, a, is the opposite of the people feel. When people are under a curse, they have the spirit of rejection. They have the spirit of an orphan child. They have the, the deaf and dumb spirit. They have a mean man spirit. They have all these evil spirits on them. So part of restoring the person when we're prophesying their future, we ask the spirit of adoption to come upon that person, that they can feel loved, accepted, welcome, that they can prosper. Because when you're under all these demonic things, there's a spirit of poverty, a spirit of, of, uh, of failure. And you're, the spirit of adoption comes on us when we get saved and it restores everything the enemy has stolen from us. So we pray that blessing upon them.